You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, uh, good morning. My name's Sam. I'm the senior minister here at St. John's. I've been on holidays for the last three weeks. Went all the way to South Australia. Uh, Amazingly, they let us in. And amazingly, they let us back. And so I'm glad to be here again with you this morning. Well, because I've been on holidays, I've decided that I'm going to give myself a relatively easy task. And that is, I'm going to try and convince you this morning, if I can find my clicker, uh, that eating is important. Yeah, no, well, I I didn't want to set the bar too high for myself, uh, because I'm still pretty relaxed. So eating is important. Meals are important. Now, of course, they're important in that if you don't eat, if you don't have meals, when, well, you end up in all sorts of trouble after not very long. Uh, food, meals are important uh, for sustaining us and strengthening us. But meals are not just important for that. Like, I'm a big fan of meals as sustenance. They say breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but I don't like to discriminate. I think all three are important, and I would add a few more if I could. I, I, I love the food, but that's not the only reason food is important, that meals are important. There's something profound about being together over a meal. Something uh, that just binds you together uh, more than if you just meet someone. If you really want to get to know someone, have a meal with them. Uh, I'm, you know, what was the first thing that happened? We had a number of periods over the last couple of years where we haven't been able to see loved ones. As soon as the restrictions lift and you're able to see them, what's the first thing you do? You go and have dinner with them, don't you? You go and have a meal. Uh, Like I said, we've just been on holidays for uh, the last three weeks. I saw family and brothers and cousins and uh, and nephews and nieces. It was basically one meal hop to another as we said time together and reconnected. Meals are really important. Some of your deepest relationships, I'm sure, have been forged over the kitchen table. You think about all of those times where uh, there's the family banter and it's not always fun and joyful, but the way in which families uh, deeply bond are over meals. They talk about the importance of having dinner together as a family and the way in which that actually is massively important for particularly younger kids as they grow up and teenagers. If you have family meals together in the evening, uh, it's a massive protective hedge they've found in the research uh, for your kids. Meals are important. Now, I I don't just want to convince you that meals are important because they're sustenance. I don't want to just convince you that meals are important because they're about community and connection. I also want to encourage you and say that meals are important in the Gospel of Luke. So this term, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke together, and the way in which we're structuring that is we're looking at meals with Jesus. 
you'd be surprised how many times in the Gospel of Luke Jesus is either going to a meal or at a meal or coming from a meal. Uh, one of the books that have been helpful for us as we've thought about the series is this great book is by Tim Chester. Uh, it's called A Meal with Jesus. And so a lot of this stuff's coming from uh, A Meal with Jesus. It's worth getting your hands on a copy if uh, you're the reading type. So Tim Chester, A Meal with Jesus. I'll include that in the online pews news and you can follow that up yourself. Uh, but uh, Tim Chester points out that Jesus is always at a meal. So chapter 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Chapter 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Uh, Luke, Luke 9, it's the feeding of the 5,000, an enormous meal. Uh, Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Martha and Mary. Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. See, meals with Jesus aren't always happy events. This one's particularly awkward, and we'll come to it, because he begins the meal by saying, woe to you and your, you know, your whitewashed tombs. Uh, that would have been an interesting meal to be at. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. Luke 19, Jesus actually invites himself to, to dinner with Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down, I'm eating at your place. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Luke 22, one of the most famous meals of all time, the Last Supper. And Luke 24, Luke, uh, Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, he uh, meets with his disciples and has a meal with them, cook some fish. Jesus again and again is having meals and it's not just that Jesus needed to sustain himself and so he happened to be eating a lot. No, it's actually part of what Jesus was on about. It's an expression of his mission and what he was doing. See, Jesus is coming to do what we do at meals, to connect, to create community, uh, to show us a new kind of way, a new kind of community in what he does. Uh, as Jimmy said, he comes and he meets with sinners. Jesus comes. Uh, how would you finish this sentence? Jesus comes to... It's a sentence that starts three times in the Bible. The Son of Man comes to, uh, and two times it's about an intent of what he's coming to do, and one time it's about his method. So, uh, I didn't get it in there. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Exactly. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. The other time it says the Son of Man comes to is the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like of the other two times it's all about Jesus coming to seek and save the lost. He's come to redeem sinners. This is what he's, the headline of what he's come to do. But the other time is the Son of Man comes, to, comes eating and drinking. And uh, Tim Chester suggests, and, and I think he's right, that 
is an expression of his method about the other two things. And Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. How? Eating and drinking. You know, sometimes we can really complicate evangelism. Uh, as uh, Caroline said at the beginning of the service yesterday, we talked about, as a leadership group, our mission as a church is to glorify God, grow to maturity in Christ, go tell the gospel in the power of the Spirit. That's what we're on about as a church. And sometimes we complicate the go. We're going to think, well, maybe I need to do a whole lot of evangelism courses and maybe I, I really need to know my Bible off by heart. And I need to be able to answer every single question anyone has ever asked about Christianity. And actually, I can't do all of those things yet, so I, I'm not going to go yet. I'm just going to be more training. Actually, I think we overcomplicate it. Uh, the way that Jesus did mission time and time again was simply by eating with people. Why intentionally coming and connecting with people over food and telling them about the kingdom over that. It's in the context of relationships. And so if you've wondered, how on earth can I go? Well, there's heaps of opportunities every single week for you simply just to invite a, a, a friend over to a meal and do that intentionally, pray about it before you come, be ready to speak and share the light that you have, the faith that you have in Christ. But then just invite people and see what God does with it. Going is not as complex as we think. And as we look over the rest of the term, at Jesus going, we'll see again and again, he is going over food, over a meal. One of the other interesting things I find, and we'll see over this term, is that Jesus, yes, as Jimmy said, Jesus does go to the sinners and the tax collectors. He invites himself uh, to Zacchaeus' house for a meal. These are the despised, the outcast. Uh, but what Jesus also does is he goes to the house of the Pharisee. He goes and meets with those who are powerful as well. Jesus is actually indiscriminate with who he'll eat with, which I'm really glad about. He will eat with me. So that's wonderful. Jesus comes to all. Uh, but we'll be watching him and seeing him. We'll be joining the table as he lays out the feast for us this term and seeing what Jesus does as he interacts with the rich and the powerful and with the outcast and what kind of kingdom and what kind of community that he is going to be making. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Jesus comes eating and drinking. But I'm being a terrible host. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Here we are around the table and I have not introduced some of the members. So let me do a little bit of work introducing to you. Firstly, Luke. Luke is uh, a celebrated author. He's the author of the well-known book, The Gospel of Luke. And uh, we know a little bit about him from the Bible. So he's mentioned in a couple of Paul's letters. Uh, towards the end of Philemon, he, uh, Paul says, and greetings from my fellow worker, Luke. Uh, so Luke was uh, a worker with Paul together in Colossians. 
Uh, we also know that by profession he was a doctor because Paul says, and Luke, my dear friend, the doctor, also sends his greetings. So Luke is an educated man. Uh, uh, he's a, a scientist of his day. And uh, we'd actually know that if you could read the original Greek, he writes just beautiful, educated Greek. And so he's a very educated guy. He was with Paul. We know that not just because Paul said, you know, Luke sends his greetings, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we also know that because you might also be aware of, of Luke's uh, celebrated sequel, uh, the book of Acts. That he also right. I actually think it might have been helpful to put Luke and Acts next to each other and not have John in the middle there, uh, and maybe put John at the beginning. But you know, I'll have that conversation with whoever decided that uh, some other time. But Luke and Acts are meant to be read together. They're, they're a unified story. Luke wrote both of them, and there's a point in Acts where, in chapter 14, up until that point, Luke has been saying they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. And then he starts saying, we did this, and we did that. Uh, so Luke was there. He was with Paul on his missionary journeys. And then you come to chapter 21 of Acts, and it says, uh, we came and we went to Jerusalem. He's with Paul at this point. They've just gone to Jerusalem. It's just before Paul's about to get arrested and sent off to Rome. He comes to Jerusalem and Paul and all of us are invited to meet with James, the brother of Jesus, and all the elders, all the apostles. So we know that Luke met the apostles. He knew the apostles. He was a fellow worker with Paul. Uh, he was an educated man. And he wrote the things that we have before us today. Well... I've introduced to you Dr. Luke. It's, it's wonderful to have him at the table. Uh, who else is at the table? Well, uh, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is seen, he's the recipient. He's writing to Theophilus. You see that in verse uh, 3, I think it is, of Luke chapter 1. And uh, Theophilus, we don't, we don't actually know all that much about. So he's mentioned at the beginning of Luke. He's mentioned at the beginning of Acts. And that's it. And so uh, we think, well, there's a few possibilities. He could have been a rich patron of uh, Luke, who had commissioned the work. It was an expensive thing to write uh, scrolls, and so often you'd have a patron who commissioned a work. And so perhaps Theophilus was a person who'd begun to investigate Christianity, perhaps believed but wanted to know more uh, for himself, and so he'd commissioned Luke. Literally, as it says up there, his name means God lover. And so it might be that it's not a particular person, but perhaps Luke is writing to God lovers. Uh, people who are well disposed towards God, perhaps know a little bit about him, but, but want to learn more. Whatever the case, uh, what Luke wrote is also for you. The recipient of the letter is not just Theophilus, it's, it's you. It was intended for you. God, in his grace, inspired Luke as he wrote, as he investigated, as he 
and put it all together with the intent, not just that Theophilus might come to know the things, but so that you might as well. You're around this table, this term, as well. Well, one of the interesting things that Luke does that none of the other gospel writers do is he gives us a little bit of a peek uh, under the bonnet, as it were. He shows us a little bit about his method. What does he say? I went and I carefully investigated everything. I love watching uh, movies at the moment because I have some fantastic kids. We do watch a number of like Disney movies and things and they often have extras where they, they have the amazing things that you see on the screen and you're just caught up with it and then you get to the end of the movie and you go, I, I enjoyed that so much, I'm just going to watch the extras. And then they take you through how they did it all and it's kind of like destroying the magic, isn't it? Like, oh, okay, so they... They just did that. It kind of kills it for me. Luke is, is taking us behind the scenes. He's giving us the extras, but it's, it's not in a way that actually destroys it for us because Luke's not writing entertainment. He's not uh, writing something that's just there to uh, carry us along and, and, and lift our hearts and uh, get away from the humdrum of life, although his gospel will do those things if you really read into it and, and take it to heart. What he's writing is investigative journalism. And whenever you're reading investigative journalism, uh, you want to know the sources, don't you? You want to know that what he's saying is coming from reliable sources. That's what Luke's talking about. He's saying, I've investigated everything uh, from the beginning. And you see evidences of that all the way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, one of my uh, favourite examples of that, I'll just grab a Bible. Always a good thing for a preacher to have a Bible. Uh, one of my favourite examples of that, you see in Luke chapter 2, uh, where you might remember this story because Christmas was only a month or so ago, the shepherds, uh, are visited by the angels and then they're sent along to Mary and the shepherds say all what has happened. I'll get to chapter 2. And uh, all who heard it were amazed at the sh what the shepherds told them. And then verse 19, but Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. How does Luke know that? Because he's talked to Mary. I love it at different points of the gospel. You can almost hear the people he's spoken to speaking. You can almost hear Mary saying, everyone else was amazed. Uh, but I was just quiet and I pondered in my, in my heart and I treasured it in my heart. And then years and years later when my beloved son was on that cross and when he rose again I, I remembered those things I treasured it all those years you can almost hear Mary's voice coming through Luke met with and, and he knew all the apostles it's their words that we have here and as we go on into Acts it's Luke's words himself as he saw and uh, 
and passed on. I don't know whether you've ever uh, been to someone's house after they've been on holidays. Uh, I'm sparing you this morning. But uh, when they've been on holidays, and in the old days, you have, used to have slideshows uh, with the little things, and you click them in and you turn it around. Uh, yeah, anyone born basically after me will have no idea what I'm talking about, but they had slideshows. And you go around to someone's house and they'd show you interminable slide after interminable slide. Uh, this, is, this is the... And, and because they weren't digital, they took photos and every photo was a photo. Like you, you, so they kept it. And, and here's a kind of blurry shot of the river. And, this is, and it just goes on forever. There are bits of acts where Luke is saying, and, and then we took a ship to Troas, and then we went here, and then we went there. That has that kind of feel about it. Luke was there. Luke was travelling around with him. Uh, and so he goes and he investigates. Why does Luke do it? Why does he spend all this time investigating and working out uh, what has happened, making sure he's got it all down right? What's his intent? Well, he says in verse 4, so that you may know the truth. So that you may know for sure, so that you can have a certainty that what's written in here actually happened. See, some people will approach religion, some people will approach Christianity as though what's important is the niceness of the story and that uh, we say nice things about God, but you know, Luke has none of that. He says there is a truth. There's real things that happened in real time and space to real people. And I want you to know for sure that these things are true. He works hard so that we can know that and we can have confidence in that. Now, why, why does that matter? Because otherwise we just make up what God's like. The human heart has a predisposition to make God in its own image. Our tendency is to say God is actually quite like me. Actually, God is God and, and he is not like us. And sometimes he comes to us and he confronts us. God is who he is. And the best way we can know God is because he's come to us and he's sat at table with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the events that Luke will take us through in the term ahead were real events that really happened, that Jesus is who he is related to be. And as we'll see, uh, those most important events, as Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and and is risen again to new life and is ascended. Why is that important? Because if those things are true, what God says about those things are true also. That he has forgiven you. That he has brought you into his family. That he does love you. That he is about making a new community. And he is about renewing and restoring this world. God is the one who has come to eat with us, to create a community. Because there's a day that comes when we will perfectly be with him at the great banquet table of our Lord Jesus Christ, face to face, perfect in community, totally renewed and utterly restored. I'm looking forward to this term. Uh, I can't wait to get tuck into the banquet that Luke is spreading before us. 
uh, and to do that with you. Would you pray with me uh, as I guess we prepare our hearts uh, over the next few months to do that uh, and as we trust in what Luke has said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God who has not remained distant. And we thank you that you have come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and that as you come, you come to create community and that you're on a mission to restore and renew. And so, Heavenly Father, as we feast on your word this term, we pray that we may have a sense that we're actually at table with you, that you're doing something in our hearts and that you're reaching out to us and you're forming us as a new community. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you came and we're at work in the heart of Luke and that he works so hard that we might know these things too. And so, Father, would you also give us a great confidence in your word and uh, a great, not just a sense that you have done things in the past that we can be confident in and know, but that you are at work even now and in our hearts and renewing us and restoring us. Father, we look forward to that day when we do sit with you at table, perfected, perfect, uh, with nothing between us. Lord, uh, sustain us to that day, this week and always. In Jesus' name, amen.